on the second week of Advent. And if you're new to the Advent season, the word simply means arrival. Uh, and for the church, the Advent season is celebrating the arrival of Jesus in a human history 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. And it might be helpful to consider different kinds of arrivals we've experienced. Uh, I read about an interesting one recently. This was with King George IV uh, in England in the early 1800s. Uh, he was an especially um, uh, pleasure-driven kind of king, and his, his coronation was uh, certainly um, uh, not lacking in this. It was said that he was led by hundreds of knights into his palace, and he was greeted by choral music and tapestries all over the place. And the crown that was placed on his head had over 12,000 diamonds on it. It was a foot and a half tall, so a gigantic thing. It was um, the most expensive coronation in the history of England. Quite an entrance. Well, we've all probably experienced other kinds of arrivals, uh, whether it's marching for your graduation, uh, being ambushed by a surprise birthday party, uh, walking down the aisle for your wedding day, or maybe later into the reception hall. Whatever it was, it had a lot of pomp and circumstance attached to it. And when you think of the arrival of Jesus, you would think it wouldn't be lacking in any of this. And yet everything the Apostle John has told us so far in the story would make us think this would be a grand entrance, that someone somewhere would be rolling out the red carpet for Jesus, or at least tuning up the instruments. But it's actually quite the opposite. On the contrary, John tells us that with the arrival of Jesus, hardly anyone even notices him. It's like King George arriving to his palace and nobody even pays attention. People go about their own business. And it's worse than this. Not only was Jesus ignored, but he was rejected. I think most of us would be pretty devastated if we showed up to a birthday party or to a wedding and everyone just ignored us. But Jesus had to endure this plus organized resistance against him his entire life. He did this not merely to win our admiration or garner our sympathy, but he did this to save our lives. And this is what we're going to consider this morning. Then when Jesus gave up fame and notoriety and offered himself as a gift, what did this actually entail? And there are three different aspects to this Advent gift that Jesus gives us. He gives us a new start a new status, and a new life. We're going to look at our passage from John 1, verses 6 through 13. It's printed in your bulletin. There's also a few Bibles you're welcome to use. I'm going to start in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand together. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word as we consider you this morning. We pray that it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray this looking to the Spirit's power and in your name. Amen. Well, the first thing we see about the Advent gift from Jesus is that his arrival entails a new start. 
This is something that every Christian has in common. And you see this in the significance of the word but found at the beginning of verse 12. If you were a Christian, there was some time you didn't know Jesus, but now you do. And there was some time in your life where you didn't welcome Jesus, but now you do. And some of you remember when the start happened and others of you don't. And that's okay because it's much more interesting to know how the start happened than to when it happened. So let's think about this. What happened with the start that he's giving us? And the first thing you see is that it comes with a radically inclusive invitation. Notice how John qualifies his statement at the beginning of verse 12. He says, but to all who receive him. In other words, what John is saying is it doesn't matter what you've failed at or what you've done in the past or whether you've spent more time at parties and in a worship service. It doesn't matter your education, where you're from, the color of your skin, how much money or how much debt you have. Jesus receives everyone who comes to him in faith. When he says all, he means all. But at the same time, this radically inclusive invitation involves a radically exclusive demand to believe in Jesus. He is the only one who's been approved to hand out new starts. And I think for us, this exclusivity is difficult to swallow. I was recently talking with a Unitarian pastor, and she was telling me the reason she left the faith and and became a Unitarian because she couldn't believe any longer that Jesus was the only way to God. Christianity couldn't make a claim like that. She's what we call a pluralist. There are a lot of things I like about pluralists. They're uh, often very winsome. They tend to ask questions before speaking. But there are also some challenges that people regularly point out. Religions have fundamental differences with each other. For example, Islam claims that Jesus never died on a cross. Well, Christians do believe that. Semitic religions have a very different philosophical view of the world than Vedic religions. Each religion has different views that contradict each other, and you can't have this in a pluralistic world. But I think there is something else going on, and we need to think about what exactly is this exclusivity that's bothering to us. And I think when we poke at it and push on it, it ends up not being such a bother after all. It's exclusive in the same way that medicine is exclusive. When your doctor prescribes something to you, they're saying that this is the one thing that will cure you. They don't give you other options for the simple reason that those options don't work. To say that Jesus is the only way to God is because he's the only person who will cure our problem. He may be exclusive, but it's not a bad exclusive. It's an inclusive offer with an exclusive demand. Whether we like it or not, it's the only true start that God gives us. This is not to say that we're not going to try our own fresh starts in a couple of weeks when the new year starts. We might be hitting the gym, reading more books, trying to get hold of finances. Whatever it is, the new start we're looking for, no matter what it is, is ultimately a new start with God. And this happens when we look at Advent and we turn to Jesus and say, he is the one who came to save me. It's always an open invitation. But saying there's a new start doesn't tell us what this new start consists in, and we need to consider that, which leads to our second point. John is telling us that in Advent we receive a new status specifically a new status of being children of God. This may sound strange to some of us. Uh, Many times we assume that we are all God's children. This was expressed in the, the line of Alan Jackson, the country singer, says this, here comes a Baptist, here comes a Jew, there goes a Mormon and a Muslim too. 
I see a Buddhist and a Hindu, I see a Catholic and I see you. We're all God's children. Why can't we be one big happy family? There is a partial truth in this. God created us and crafted us in his image. Later in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul declares to us that we are all God's offspring. But in our passage we're looking at, there is something deeper and richer going on with what it means to be God's children. So what does this mean? We'll look at where it originates from and what this new status includes. And what John tells us as far as the origin of this new status is that in verse 12, it has to be something given to us. He says he gave the right to become children. That means we don't earn this new status through good behavior. It must be granted by someone else. And that means that this new kind of status is a different kind of status than what we're used to. We're used to earning enough uh, drinks to get a gold status for Starbucks. Or if it's Woods Coffee, it's 12 drinks, which is FYI is a little bit better than Starbucks, so go local there. Or we're used to frequent fire miles and, and uh, access to airport lounges. Or giving enough money to an organization that we get mentioned in a journal or on a brick. These are all, of course, good things, but they're fundamentally different than the status that God is trying to give us. God's status is something that's received, not achieved. But what does this offer actually entail? Fortunately for us, the Apostle John actually tells us a little bit about this. And it's summed up in the word rights. He says, you get rights you otherwise would not have. Specifically, the right to become a child of God. We can think of this in terms of a human family for a moment. And consider what unique rights does a child have. Ideally, a child enjoys the unshakable affection of their parents. They know that no matter what, their parents will love them and always claim them as their own. Even despite many sad and tragic stories, there is still an element of this love in these families. And right, aside long, right along with this is a child's right to unrestricted access to their parents. I'm sure many of you experienced that late last night or early this morning. Your parent, kids breaking in. A kid gets to tackle her dad when he enters the door coming home or cuddle with mom while reading a story. Only a child has unfettered access to their parents, day or night, 24-7 for anything and for everything. In the same way, God's children are given the amazing privilege of unrestricted access to God. His kids can burst into his presence anytime for anything and be, be completely honest and without uh, fear of being kicked out. The last right we receive as God's children is the right to an inheritance. An inheritance is when a family passes down valuable things to other family members, whether it's assets or jewelry or furniture. And what God is saying that he has something valuable he also wants to pass on to us. And it's much grander than any kind of inheritance we could imagine. What God is doing is he is right now taking the world and removing all the sin from it and all the suffering from it. And he says when he's finished with this project, he's going to give it to us, his children, at no cost. It's part of being part of his family. And so whether you come from a family that has a lot or a little, you know that your heavenly father has a grand gift in store for you. So we see this new status that we receive from God comes with unshakable affection from the Lord, unrestricted access to his presence, and a valuable inheritance. 
I know for many of us, uh, when it comes to speaking about God as father or being his child, uh, we not only feel insecure about our relationships with each other, but we feel insecure about our relationship with God. And we wonder to ourselves, uh, is this something that we can actually experience? It sounds too nice, which leads to our last point this morning. And that is that Advent brings us a new life. John tells us in verse 12, to those who are born of God, reserve the right to, rights of children. And when John mentions this later in chapter 3, uh, this has a priority to it. Uh, you can't have a new status and a new start without first being given a new life. You see this in, in the famous discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Jesus says these famous words, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, Nicodemus had no idea what Jesus was talking about, which is kind of fortunate for us, that we are uh, allowed to ask questions we might be too embarrassed of. And Nicodemus was asking, how can a person be born of God? That's not physically or medically possible. And of course, he's right, but Jesus isn't talking about a natural kind of birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. And he goes on to distinguish between physical birth and spiritual birth, where he says that I'm not talking about a birth that's by natural means or that's by the decision-making of the parents. Nevertheless, I'm talking about a real birth nonetheless. Just as there is a moment in time when you enter this physical world and have your first breath, there's also a moment in time when you begin your spiritual life and take your first breath. The latter is no less real. All of this assumes the startling possibility that you can be physically alive and yet spiritually dead. In fact, the Bible says this is not only a possibility, but it's a sad reality that we live in. Paul, in his letter to the church of Ephesus, puts it very strongly in chapter 2. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. All of us were by nature objects of wrath. It's interesting that that word objects can also be translated children. And what Paul is saying is that we're all children of wrath. He's explained that when we enter this world, our default is not to be God's friends, but it's actually to be God's enemies. We get our start by trying to determine our lives and be our own bosses. But by God's grace, this is not how our stories always end. Because Paul continues that passage and he goes on to say what the preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones called the two greatest words in the Bible. But God. He says this, We were by nature children of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Christmas is a celebration of these two words made in the flesh. Because God's, God's two great words didn't just hang in the air full of possibility. They became reality in Jesus, born in a manger. That same Jesus would one day stand outside the mouth of his friend's tomb and with a command, tell his friend to come out. And Jesus now stands at our hearts and offers to speak life to us. And that same Jesus would allow himself to be treated as a child of wrath so that we might be welcomed as children of God. And after paying for our sins and praying for our sins on the cross, he, on the cross, he announced, it is finished, that we, might not, that we might get a new start. And that's what Jesus offers in Advent. He offers 
a new start, a new status, and a new life. To wrap things up, I, I think we put a lot of pressure on Christmas. We hope it can make up for the end of a lousy year. We hope it can maybe provide some rest uh, in the middle of exhaustion. On top of that, the presents have to be perfect and the food has to be delicious and company has to be agreeable. It's not surprising that by the end of the season, we're all happy when it's done. But I think we have it a little bit backwards. Advent is not the end of our year. It's actually the beginning of our year. And the entire Christian life is starting with Advent and working out of it. It puts us, by doing that, it puts us not on the defensive, but on the offense. And it lets Christmas puts pressure on the rest of the year. Kind of like you could take a stamp and impress it on a piece of paper and imprint the contours of the gospel on our lives. I think for a lot of us here this morning, the meaning of Advent was once fresh and sweet, but now it feels dull and distant. And rather than feeling like God's children, we feel more like orphans. Like God's love is something that you have to earn or find. And the assumption in our passage here this morning is that we can actually have fresh experiences of God's grace again. And it starts with what the preacher Sinclair Ferguson said. It is no easier for God to give you a new birth than it is for him to give it to the worst man who ever lived. Let's warm our hearts this morning with this truth. Would you pray with me?